Welcome to Into Theology. I'm joined with Ian Clary, who's back in the land of the free. Back in Colorado, maybe. I don't know how free it is down here. We're we're marginally more free than you are in Canada. I saw a U.S. school that's mandating a 14-day uh, mask rule, and it it just made me think: oh, Is it going to be like two more weeks to <laughs> flatten that's, the curve? I what? can't remember what university it was. It was like for caution's sake for two weeks. Yeah, um, I, I saw something too about them saying that there's going to be like another lockdown. I'm like, oh, that's going to be great. Yeah, I, I now, they'll hand Trump the presidency it. if there's a lockdown and Trump runs against that, they will hand him the presidency. That's for sure. Looks like it's Morris Brown College, and it's a mask mandate for 14 days as a pre- as a precautionary move. Oh, uh, I don't even. I uh, I have a feeling that it will be, anyways, a lot less complied with than last time. I'm sure. Um. Anyhow, speaking of unmasking the truth of things, (laughs) we are going to name God. And as you know, name means names like Bob or Joe. And we're going to figure out the various biblical names of God in question. Yeah, there's Rick. Uh, (laughs) Joe. (laughs) Joe. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, and others. No, that's not what name. So we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, I think we're going to open with you reading the I answer that are the first article of question 13 to kind of get her feet wet. And then I'll let you wax eloquent on what it means to name God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, arguably question 13 of the SUMA is probably alongside question two, which deals with the five ways. Um, these are like the two that everybody talks about, right? Like the whole doctrine of analogy and Thomas Aquinas. And, and, uh, and you can I'd see actually add question 27, which is not in this book. Which we may have to cheat and do. What's what's twenty seven? Transitions. Oh, uh, it's not in here. No, that's wild. Yeah, I think we'll have to use... yeah, we'll have to kind of skip out for those ones because it's like one yeah. of the most important. I believe it's twenty. I may have to double check, but I think it's yeah. around twenty seven. We can use Aquinas.cc or yeah, something like. Yeah, I, I think for a couple we might have to because it's like it would be super lame not to do processions. Yeah, that's like for me the well, yeah, I guess for me the most important really. I think um, this is pretty important. Question thirteen. No, it's Aquinas against Aquinas. Calvin against the Calvinists. Like, we can we even talk about eternal processions? You know, like I I don't even know if I can even name God. That's true. Okay, we haven't done a podcast on it yet to know. Does God exist? (laughs) Do we establish that? Because that one, we're good. Okay, good. So now we can talk that he has a name. Okay, phew, I was worried that he didn't exist for a moment. Okay, read the the the, the creeped also. This is the very Protestant, I guess, version of the Summa because he doesn't have transubstantiation or any of that stuff in there too. So we'd need to we'd need to do that as well, I think. My sense is that he's sort of doing the articles that are most overlapping yeah. with like a philosophy course. Probably. Um, that includes God, of course. But yeah. he's not necessarily doing the things that would most overlap with like an only theology course. So mm-hmm. processions, missions of God are not in here as far as I know. So we'll have okay. to kind of cheat and get there a little bit. Um, but this is still a great addition because it simplifies things, has good footnotes yeah. and all that. I just think there's a few pieces where you're just like, what, what intarnation? I'll be honest. Even um, Article Three, which he skips in here, is uh, on. Um, oh, I was looking it up. What it, it it's like super important. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't even believe. Um, where is it here? Uh, yeah, um, the matters of signification. Uh, it do- doesn't even deal with. Um, he skips it. So I thought that was interesting. To be fair, though, I mean, probably like if you have oh, to, I'm sure we'd make um, we'd make interesting decisions, too. Yeah. 
Uh, what is the uh, Dinominibus Dei? The yeah, the divine name, the names of God. Uh, oh yeah, but you yeah. gotta read. You gotta read well, and then tell us about names or in okay, any order you it. want. I guess let's name it, first or read. So let's go first article. Uh, he asks the question whether a name can be given to God, which obviously is an important question. If God is kind of, you know, holy other creator creature distinction, um, you, you know, um, incomprehensible. Well, then how does the human language work when we're trying to speak of God? And so he's going to address all these kinds of questions. So first article, he's asking that, can we even do this? Uh, and so his I answer that is really interesting. Uh, it gets into the whole question of like language, semiotics. Uh, he says, since according to the philosopher, which is Aristotle, uh, words are signs of ideas and ideas are the similitude of things. Uh, and he says, it is evident that words relate to the meaning of things signified through the medium of the intellectual conception. It follows, therefore, that we can give a name to anything in as far as we can understand it. Now, it was shown above, referencing question 12, uh, that in this life, we cannot see the essence of God, um, but we know God from creatures as their principle, and also by way of excellence and remotion. In this way, therefore, he can be named by us from creatures, yet not so that the name which signifies him expresses the divine essence itself. So kind of building off what we were talking about in the last podcast, where in this life, we're not going to be able to, you know, we can't. No memory that. for our last podcast. You don't remember that? I thought it was I have super no memory. helpful. Okay, wait, go on. Was remind a, me, remind me. Well, Sorry. it was a hard one, right? Because we're trying to like think through like, okay, can you see the divine essence? You can't in this life, but you can in the beatific vision in right. the next okay, life. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Then uh, you blew it on the light concept. I remember. I, totally I was really, blew it I was on really light. disappointed light. in you. Light. <laughs> light. We should probably go Sorry. talk about that. <laughs> it's so bad. I did. Sorry. People probably think that we, our jokes People are like know, listen, each other. But we are, as, as we've, as you and I were just discussing before we recorded, we are theological journeymen. Hey, look, you went to Toronto <laughs> Baptist Seminary, your cup says. Yeah, it's cool, man. My alma mater and everything. Yeah, you care about the uh, approbation of men. I'm number one dad because I care hey, about family. False advertising. I see that sign in the back there, too. It says the same thing. Best Gary, dad ever. A couple, <laughs> couple years ago, a student gave me this one of Luther nailing the uh, 95 Theses. It says, no, the door was fine. I'm just fixing your theology. That's right. You know what? If if the if the world needs anything more, it's two men who are middle-aged, past their prime, with facial hair, talking about fixing everyone's theology. Has anybody thought about doing this before? I mean, like, it's like Theo bros or something? Yeah. Uh, yeah I think I'm so. The world needs to hear what we have to say. Maybe, another i had a group of i had a group of students give me this as part of like a gift bag canadian cutie you ain't got that because that would be quality that's super cool this one's good in loser get in loser the <laughs> uh, truth is out there okay uh the... this one a student doodled on a cup oh. and did me oh well, i'm a little too irish in this one no 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 it's very red. accurate in the green hair, like, you always wear green yeah. uh linen suits and things that's right Speaking of which, can we name God? Yes. So right. I, I, no, we can. I, I think this one's helpful when he's because he is getting into the whole question of you know um, semiotics, which is the, the 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 whole notion of like signs and what 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 signs can signify and things like that. And so um, here's a definition: the theory of symbols or signs uh, for semiotics. So that, that's what he's getting into here. Like, and so he's saying that the words that we use, right, whether it's the words that I speak or words that are written on a page, signify ideas, right? So the ideas that come into our mind, 
and ideas are the similitude of things, right? So like, I don't have the actual cup itself in my in my intellect, right? I have uh, a, what he would sometimes call a phantasm or an image in my mind of this. It's a real image that has real correspondence to the reality of it. I, I have to say in, uh, in kind of um, friendship with people like me who are much dumber and slower and stupider, uh, sign study is like, you see a stop sign that says stop. <laughs> and so you yeah. stop. That's a yeah. sign. There are words that say S-T-O-P. Therefore, you stop. Yeah, signifies the need to do things. Yeah. So the word God is also telling you not necessarily to stop, but to evoke an idea of what God is. Yeah, divine creator, uh, redeemer, yeah. and so on. So I, what you said was true. I just um, I have a particular talent because I'm a dumb guy, so I can <laughs> dumb it down to the stop sign level. But I want you to keep waxing eloquent on the things that make me go. smarter. So I'm both smart and I speak well. So that's great. <clears throat> I know you're, you're, yes, you have it all. But I mean, again, like this is super important, right? He's saying that uh, it is evident that, that words relate to the meaning of things signified through the medium of the intellectual conception, right? So he's saying there's like this mid middle point uh, between the thing itself and, uh, so as you say, evident so words relate to the Clarify meaning. intellectual conception, because most people will think by being a smart head, like having a big brain, but that's not what. No, anyone ever it, meant about no, intellectual it's, it, it's it's just like you know your eye sees sees things because of color that the eye receives that color um and and that way you can know the object through your sight uh intellect right access is just the things themselves like the beings of things and it actually like conceives of what that truly is given that it's being yeah. now through these signs come into the into your intellect so you have like sense perception you know i can smell the coffee in front of me uh, I can also have like intellectual perceptions of things too, right? Um, and if I were to like it, like it's a bit inaccurate, but like if you think of intellect, it just means I can know God, I can imagine things. Yeah, or it's a you might say, but yeah, a dog maybe can kind of think a little bit in the future, but can't commune with God. Yeah. Intellect, most Christians mean it's more than that, but I'm just trying to simplify it. You have the basic capacity to know things and to know God. Yeah. In a way that, that's in your mind like you can sit down in your chair and i can think about the hills of the mountains of colorado and they're there but yet in my mind yeah uh, in a way and they're in my mind truly but it's obvious they're not the exact same thing they are not a material mountain but an immaterial mountain that yeah. is they're in my intellect in an intellectual manner yeah and it's an idea but we're not idealists in the sense that all we have are the ideas. Um, we actually have like the the idea that comes through the mind, through our through sense perception, things like that, through the signs that we use. We actually have a real access to the things themselves um, so that there's a correspondence between what's outside of my mind and then the ideas that are actually in them. Get real, uh, man. That's all idealism. Become a realist like me. That's all I want, man. Get real. Through idealism. <clears throat> um but, you know, and, and here is this is kind of classic, you know, Thomas as the, you know, common doctor, the, the master of common sense. Uh, he says, it follows, therefore, we can, give a name, <laughs> we can give a name to anything in as far as we can understand it. Right. So we have, as he's already shown, even through uh, the proofs for the existence of God and some of the attributes, it's like from reason, like we can know certain things about God uh, through the things that he's made. And so if we can have something, some sort of an understanding of him, then we should be able to use these words, which are signifiers, uh, to actually be able to name what we can understand. Um, so, you know, um, I think it's um, uh, in, in Brian Davies, in his commentary on the Summa, he says that um, 
the word names of God here that we have in an English translation is not the best uh, translation of the word, the Latin word nomen. Um, he says it's probably better to think of it as words rather than names about na- words about God rather than names of God. And uh, that the idea is that, um, you know, we can actually use our language to say things about him. So it's kind of it's better to think of this chapter as just like what makes the possible what, what makes it possible for us to just be able to speak of God in any kind of way. Um, yeah, because so again, Aquinas is not denying that the Bible reveals names for God. Yeah. Uh, God reveals himself as redeemer, as God almighty or as Yahweh. Good. No, perfect. No, yeah. No one's denying that. It's not the literal straightforward meaning of names in 2023 English. It's the older sense of descriptions, you might say. Yeah. yeah. And so because we can look at creatures, right, this is what he's going to go on to say then. So he's like, yeah, we can, we can name things we can understand. We have some understanding of who God is. He says it's shown above that in this life, we cannot see his essence, um, although we will in the, in the life to come. Uh, but we know from, we know God from creatures, as their principle and also by way of excellence and emotion, right? So through the creature, we can know things about God. Uh, in this way, therefore, he can be named uh, by us from creatures, yet not so that the name which signifies him expresses the divine essence in itself. So if, if I say, hey, this is a good cup of coffee, as it turns out to be, uh, I can also say God is good um, and un- have an understanding of God's goodness through something like having a good cup of coffee, right? Um, it's not going to get at the divine essence, but those creaturely categories of of goodness or perfection or power, all those sorts of things that we see here, we can actually then understand something of God using those same words, good. Basically, the Bible wouldn't be possible unless this were true. <clears throat> right, no, exactly. Because the Bible is full of human words that give us a similitude about God. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's three but, things he says. There's... We can know God as as principle of creatures. It's kind of funny. Sometimes we think of animals as creatures and us as not, but we're all yeah. creatures of God. I mean, a star is a creature of God. It's because yeah. there's only one creator. He, um, so he says that. So principle, just I think in this sense, means probably something like you said by first cause earlier on. Yeah, I think it's that language. It yeah, because you know any any agent cause um, has there's something of that agent within the the things that are made the effect right and yep. so god because god made everything right like i said because god because god is good he is the good and so if i say this cup of coffee is good right i can know something of god's goodness through that but only because he is the cause of all goodness and so the effect reflects something of that cause and therefore I can actually know both that this cup of coffee is good as well as knowing God as good. But as he's going to progress through and we get into which, uh, uh, our fifth article, he's going to explain the distinctions we use within language to be able to explain what do we mean? Because I'm not saying, well, this coffee is good. God is good. Therefore, it's the same thing. So, you know, God is like this cup of coffee. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like We have to be very careful with how we speak uh, and use those words to discuss who God is. Uh, he has two other things here that he says. He says by by mode of remotion and by mode of excellence. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. He, he sort of distinguishes. I, I'm just noticing this now because there's basically three things. But when he talks about principle, it's a di- in Latin, it's a different word. And then mode is for these other two ways. So there's it's just kind of interesting to think about. He has kind of two things that he's thinking. But there's three three ways to know God, the names yeah. of God. So uh, excellence is, as far as I understand it, God is the most excellent of whatever category. And I think Aquinas will explain this shortly. Remotion is more or less removing 
creaturely imperfections from yep. descriptions about God. Um, so you just was helpful, was helpful about the idea of imperfections too, is that like, or, or anything analogous to that is, um, you know, when you have something that's good in relation to something that's great or greatest, um, you know, something that's imperfect versus something that's perfect. Like any, any, any sub, you know, an imperfection implies perfection. Um, you can't know what an imperfection is if you don't have perfections. Right. And so God who is perfect creates these beings that have perfections, but relative to him, they're still imperfect, but then it actually points us to who he actually is. So if you love someone and they betray you, the reason why it hurts so much is because you know you've lost something of what love is. But that inkling that there is true love is already means that you know that true love exists. In other words, that's kind of what you're talking yeah. about. It's yeah. You know that love exists because God is love. And he created us in order to share his goodness and love with us. So that when we have these experiences of goodness and love in life, and we see that they're imperfect, they're not fully what they should be. Our hearts yearn for more until they're satisfied. And the only thing that can give us true goodness and true love, which is God. And so that's the kind of idea of like removing perfections. Like you, you, everyone knows this, like marriage is wonderful. We're all, of, but, but there's something about marriage that, that allows us to say, this is wonderful, but it makes me yearn for something greater wow. or in friendship, the goodness of someone who's loyal and kind to you. This is great, but there's something in it that still wants you to yearn for something. And then, of course, when you have the negative experience of a friend or a spouse who betrays you, then it's really, really clear that you've you've missed something. Yeah. Like it kind of reminded me of Augustine. It says, you know, God made us for himself. And then our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. Um, anyhow, so, OK, so those are those there's three ways. Yep. <clears throat> Excellence for emotion and knowing God as their principle. And then he seems to go and talk about the very in the second article various um i guess various options for talking about god substantially it gives kind of two right like um uh in terms of the names themselves i guess like there are negative names and then there are positive or affirmative names as he calls them here um although there's a third thing right like so negative names applied to god wait so whether whether any name can be applied to god substantially he says i answer that negative names applied to god or signifying his relation to creatures manifestly do not signify do not at all signify his substance but rather express the dis- distance uh, of the creature from him right so creative creature relation so those are the negative names he says as regards uh three absolute and aff- affirmative names of god so words like good and wise uh various and many opinions have been given and so he's going to give his opinion he'll, he'll list what the various options have been uh, a and B, and then he says. Is it useful these... to say, like, just quickly say before you read a negative name? You might say like God is immortal. But then yeah, without, mortal without so, like the possibility of dying. Like they're negative. Yeah, you know. but but we're mortal, so that's it's it's saying something that is a negation of you know of what was true about us. Yeah, it's like course, talking about our substance in a sense. Like that seems like what he's getting at. Yeah, so it's it's that's why. So, th- but then keep going. Yeah, so then jumping down, he says, both these opinions um, uh, seem to be untrue for three reasons. Uh, he gives you these reasons why they're not uh, true. We don't have to get into that just yet. And then he says on, on the top of 125, therefore, we must hold a different doctrine. Uh, we see that these uh, names signify the divine substance and are predicated substantially of God, although they fall short of a full representation of him. 
the aforesaid uh, names signify the divine substance, but in an imperfect manner. So it's like a kind of imperfect signification. So if I use, you know, if I say God is good, um, I can say that truthfully, uh, but in an imperfect way. So I'm not like, I'm not saying something that's untrue. Uh, I'm not saying something that's merely metaphorical. I'm speaking in a way that actually gets at something of his substance. Mm. But obviously, if his if he's infinite, I'm not. If he's creator, we're creatures. Then then the language that we're going to use has some sort of failing. And so he's saying it's a true signification, but it's imperfect. Uh, and so then um, he says, even as creatures represented imperfectly. So that, that that's just even us, like the goodness that I might have, the strength, power, wisdom, whatever I might have. I have those imperfectly when it comes to God, because he is the perfection of those things. So he says, when we say God is good, the meaning is not God is the cause of goodness or right. God is not evil. Uh, but the meaning is whatever good we attribute to creatures pre-exists in God and in a more excellent and higher way, which just makes yeah. sense. Like when you sit there and think about it, oh yeah, of course that, of course it has to be that way. Um, and it might be simple. Like I think of like Solomon, it says that heaven and highest heaven can't contain God. Yeah. So he's sort of everywhere, but nowhere he's beyond awareness. And so like when we say, okay, God has his eyes on you or knows you. Well, when we think of our eye on someone and, and knowing someone, we can only think about that by analogy, according ooh, to the proportion ooh, 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 ooh. of because of the proportion of the kind of nature that we have. We're in one but place. We don't get to analogy until well, number. Five. I know, but I'm just giving an illustration of the kind of thing that he's talking about to make sense. Yeah. So I, when I say I have my eye on you or God has his eye on us or, and knows us, it's really only by an analogy of what I can do. Then I can surmise what God is like, but I can't really experience what it means to be both in uh, to be beyond heaven and highest heaven that can't even yeah. contain my being. So it's actually just a logical impossibility to say that when I say I know something, it's the same way that God knows something. Or if I see something, it's the same way God sees something. Not to mention that he doesn't have by nature an eyeball. Um, so this is the most common sense type of thing possible to say. And yet I would suggest that it's one of the things we make mistakes on all the time. Because you you read something in the Bible, you say like, well, um, sometimes the Bible uh, over-translates Hebrews. So there's passages that say that God is long of nose, which is a metaphor for anger. Yeah. You'll read it and says he's angry. Or um, I think Lamentations talks about God's, there's heat rising up in God. And that heat rises up in him and he gets angry. Well, when we get angry, our body's animated. We get energy. We start sweating, perhaps. Our face gets flushed and red. Our blood's pumping. And we have this experience of heat. And often that anger explodes in an uncontrolled way. But then you think, okay, that's the Bible is using human language to describe God. But as far as the Bible is concerned, God doesn't have veins, heart, heat in no. his body. He doesn't have a local body at all because he's highest heaven can't even contain him. He's beyond all uh, bodies. Yeah, so, as we've seen, he's eternal, he's infinite, he's right. simple, all these sorts of things. So it's just, it's just language has to work this way and yet it's still true for me to say that god is love god is good uh, god is angry with sin and so on but i have to remove those sort of creaturely aspects of it at, uh, when i really am doing theology i can affirm that god is angry but then i think okay but he's not angry like i am and the bible is clear on this that the anger of man does not pertain to the righteousness of god james tells us no. but you you know that it's it's these are straightforward bible things that we often get confused on and we and we make God, I think, sometimes in the image of like Zeus on a mountain. 
yeah who's like us but but basically superman from the dc comic universe um definitely not marvel we gotta be clear it's dc and um <laughs> it's just like the mormons right it's the mormon view of god too is very right. similar to the greek pantheon yeah so then we end up saying things we talk about god's anger as if he's shaking like this and actually no it's the execution of his justice and it's always perfectly in proportion to justice yeah as our anger almost never is um it's very rarely righteous anger it's funny because like in my mind, you know, as I reading this sort of stuff over the last number of years, trying to like trying to recalibrate my like conception of God based on some of these things is really hard to do. And I've kind of realized, no, actually, I just do need to just think of God in the ways that he's presented in scripture, yeah. not try to like over you overly philosophize his being or whatever. And like, I'm kind of like what, you know, when you hear like God described as this pure ocean of being, I'm like, what does that look like? And then immediately my mind goes to an ocean and I'm like thinking of the water and trying to conceive of being in that sense. But I'm like, I can't escape creaturely thoughts or ideas in my mind of who God is based upon the things that have been made. I can't escape it. I can't actually just conceive of him as being pure being. Like, I don't know how yeah. to do that. And that's why he's then kind of had it so that um, the ways, the ideas that I have to conceive of God in my mind um are 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 going to be of these creaturely things and i just actually kind of have to embrace that and that's totally okay to do in in terms of just like in my mind how do i think about god how how do i relate to him what am i what's what's going on when i'm actually praying to him like what am i conceiving of about, about god when i'm praying and it's like i just have to actually really just be content with the way he's revealed himself through these creaturely realities and because there's no I'm other way i mean that's the no point. Other there's way. no other way what can i do and so this is why Calvin in his Romans commentary talks about God speaking as if we speak yeah. to babies or yeah, where Calvin always steals his theology from Augustine. <laughs> I was therefore to purify For those listening, just because so, you just showed a copy of De Trinitate by St. Augustine. So <laughs> anybody Calvin listening literally is like every line is basically a, you know, an appropriation. <laughs> Augustine. Not, um, it, was, it was therefore to purify the human spirit of such falsehoods. That Holy Scripture, adapting itself to babes, did not shun any words proper to any kind of thing whatever that might nourish our understanding and enable it to rise up to the sublimities of divine things. Steve goes on to explain what that means, but basically the exact same point. So the yeah. sublime things means God stuff. Yeah. And like babes, like we talk to a baby, we have to talk to them at their level according to their capacity. So this is... I guess all this to say is that Thomas Aquinas is using language that's unfamiliar to us today, but he's basically the master of common sense. And we have to learn this because I don't know how many times I have heard descriptions of God's anger, for example, in ways that make me think that God is like, uh, like a sinfully angry person, just not can't be true. Yeah. And yet the Bible says he's angry at sin. So it is true that God is angry with sin. So we need to be able to make that affirmation in a way that is appropriate according to what all the Bible says. And so that's what Aquinas is doing. He said, you have to, he'll get to this in a second, that you make that affirmation according to the kind of nature that God is, the proportion yeah. of his nature. And yeah, since God is huge, immortal, invisible, almighty God, and so on, and we're mortal, visible, and not almighty, <laughs> then <laughs> right. often our anger is sinful. So if you think of anger just like it is among humans, you'd actually be equivocating when you speak about God. Ooh, that analogy and now equivocate. We should now just jump right into the, the fifth article and kind of work through those three. We could maybe jump back to four 
but whether well let's because four he has three tier has it so short um let, let's let maybe we should just talk about that like the idea of uh on the bottom of page 125 whether the names are applied to god are synonymous when i first was reading this i was like why is this even an issue and it's like oh it's because he's talked about divine simplicity already and so it would seem like if everything that is god everything is in god is god and it's yeah. simple then it would just seem like if i say god is good and i say god is true then I'm I'm basically just saying the same thing using different words, and that there's no real referent of meaning between uh, that that is distinct between goodness sure. and truthfulness. And so, because you would think, oh, that's what divine simplicity is going to do. But because Th Thomas has already said in the first article about what a sign, like the words, as signs of ideas that are in the mind, then he's jumping into this and he's saying these names spoken of God are not synonymous, which you're like, wait, if he's simple, they should be. He's like, no, it's because our intellect, since it knows God from creatures, which are all different things, in order to understand God, forms conceptions, and there's your language of proportional to the perfections flowing from God to creatures, which perfections pre-exist in God unitedly and simply. So he's, though, yes, they're there, they're one. And remember, there's two articles, one on unity, one on simplicity. So he actually, right. just, yeah, so go on, sorry. He's just riffing off of what he's already told us, right? And he's saying, yes, that's true. He is, he is one, he is simple. Um, and yet, whereas the creatures, we receive these ideas in divided and multiplied ways, just because that's just how our minds, our intellects work. Therefore, although the names of God, of God applied, uh, applied to God signify one thing, uh, still because they signify that under many different aspects, they're not synonymous. Yeah. So it makes sense. It's kind of like, I think it was in, in Davies again, I was reading it, where it made sense where it's like, if I say the square root of two is... You're not going to answer this part here. Square root of two. One. I, it's not one. <laughs> no, square root of two. <laughs> you're you're pushing the unity simplicity thing too far. No, no. Square root of two times itself is four. So yeah. if I say the square root of two is four, but I also say two times two or two times right. itself, those are all different categorically in my mind. They give you the same answer. Right. So oh. different ways of conceiving the one thing. And so likewise, oh, okay. we can use goodness, truth, power, wisdom, all different ways of signifying the one essence of God, even though categorically they're distinct in our minds. Sorry, I I I, I showed that <laughs> I was trying to figure out you're not a good mathematician, but neither am I. So <laughs> uh well or you didn't know where I was going. Uh okay. No, we can just assume that I'm stupid. This is the best assumption to make. Um I think this is really interesting because he's making this will be everywhere in their later reformed writings. And it's completely normal. It's to say this, that God reveals himself as good and just and holy. All of these are uh, revealed to us in, in a multiple ways because we understand that's how we understand. We understand sequence one thing after another, but God's actually simple. So all these things in God are, are the same thing. He's just what he is, but we see him from different angles as it were, because we are, uh, creatures who can only see from one point of view. So if God's say has like a 12 sides and he's like a crystal or something like that, we'd walk around and see every, every edge of the crystal to see the different attributes of God, even though he's just that one thing himself. It's just that every angle we see him differently. Or but that's like, there's like one white light going into that prism, right? That's, that's everything who God is say. And then again, we're using a creaturely analogy, right? But right. like so one white light comes in and then it's refracted into these various the color spectrum that our eye can see and then we can conceive of these different colors all from the white so god is this one simple unified essence and yet 
um, in in the ideas that are in our minds, we make these distinctions in order to get at a better understanding of who he is. Um, well, yeah, and this is the, uh, it, but it's just it's just a very standard thing, and some people today have seemingly want to deny the doctrine of simplicity because the Bible reveals God's in diverse reveals God in diverse ways. Yeah, this answers seems, that. Yeah, it seems to be that what you're actually arguing is because I have a limited understanding. Therefore, God can't be what he is. And it's just not a good argument. It's it's an odd argument. Um, okay, so go to the fifth article. So we learn about Yeah, this uh, is the big one, right? <clears throat> yeah, do you want to read a little bit of it? Oh, oh sure. sure. It? <laughs> so I mean the things that you've already been alluding to, right? Like you've used the language of analogy, which is huge for Thomas. Um, and then uh, you talk about equivocation uh, here in the fifth article, the question deals with univocal language. And so he's going to explain the, the distinction between the three. So he's asking whether what is said of God and of creatures is univocally predicated of them. Um, so what what does it mean for something to have for God and creatures to have univocal predication? You can't do two times two. Let's see how you do with this one there, buddy. <laughs> uh what does it mean? Uh, der. Uh, der. So what do you, okay, yeah, so equivocal. Is, about, uh, article five, right? So the idea okay. of something that's univocal, if it's predicated univocal. So if I say God is love. Yeah. The, oh, yeah, the it's, a, it's the same thing for you and for God. Yeah, equivocal. Yeah, right. there's, yeah, yeah and equivocal is, there, there's no connection. So if I was to say, like, I've experienced love in my marriage through marriage, which is a mystery, Paul says, of, of God in the church or Christ in the church. I'd have to say if I was doing it, if it was equivocal, I'd say, well, there's no connection. It's just a human yeah. biological pheromone type thing. God yeah. has no body. There's no biological pheromone type thing in God because he has no body, no connection. Yeah. It's or more it was, like a metaphor and that's it. It's more of like a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. And that would be like an extreme way to apply the distinction between uh, creature and creator. Yeah. On the other Which people, happens, right? Like in scripture, yeah. like, like you were saying with the nose or the rock and all that kind of stuff, like those are metaphors that are in a sense, a kind of equivocal use of language right. to get at some sort of concept about who God is. But that's not the main way that we speak about God. But there's always some similitude because the meaning of the metaphor of the long of nose is anger. Right? So there's a similitude of the, yeah. the meaning of the word, right? So yeah. God Through has two arms up, for example, in anger. He doesn't literally have arms to put up, but it's a similitude of of, of withstanding evil and, and about to you know decimate evil or something like that yeah so there is an analogy there so then yeah to um so equivocal univocal is that if i if i use the human word love and then i use it of god everything i mean in a creaturely about god, uh, of love then it is a direct one-to-one -one correspondence between god who is love and what that does is it either it, it obliterates that kind of univocal language obliterates the creator creature distinction um well i'm wrong okay you just sent me something in the chat i'm wrong about the square root thing you don't have to read it you're, no, just... you're a jerk wait so did i screw it up what did i say so the square root of four is two no the square root of two is like 1.4 oh it yeah it doesn't no, mean i couldn't I do it because it's not I'm one sorry, like it's not sorry, one sorry, times I mean, one I like it's not that's one plus one two i meant two to the power of two not yeah so i was really that's why i was confused and then you were like i'm a moron I was trying to figure out like what you were doing, but it's like I'm not wrong. And I thought you had <laughs> and then you started mocking me for divine simplicity and unity. Hey, for oh, anyone listening, I wasn't calling I take this very <laughs> privately in a chat so that you didn't have 
Anyways, you're the one. I, I mean, well, I was. It's good, that I, it's good that you did, so that we could correct it. Because, like, man alive, what a moron! <laughs> but you brought it up again, so I was like, "What are you doing? <laughs> Just put it away, Dad." Um. Uh, anyways, uh, okay. Univocal. Okay, so equivocal. Univocal. Equivocal. Does, there's no equivocal connection. Equivocal doesn't have a direct relation to if God. If you're a materialist, there's no way to talk about God. It's all yes, equivocal. And if you're a uh, hyper super fundamentalist, I guess everything's univocal. Yeah. Uh, we talked about. Uh, we've both, at least I have met people who believe that God has a some sort of corporeal body, Crazy. because uh, the Bible describes him in corporeal ways, so bodily ways, and um, that's also just clearly if heaven and highest heaven cannot contain God. Yeah. And when I look up, I don't see a giant toe above me. No. it's evident that he doesn't have a body in a way anyway like us i grant that some people have used the word like tertullian and Danima talks about how the soul is is a kind of body but when he, when you just see what he means he's using the in the sense body in a way that it's a thing we like no it's... longer talk about it that way he doesn't mean yeah. body like flesh and blood he just means no. it's, it's a stuff yeah it's it's got subsistence it's got something to it so i think anyways all that to say is um yeah so you, equivocal, really you're concepts. not really speaking in, a, in in any kind of real one true fashion about god a univocal it's two one-to-one and that uh, univocal language it would seem to obliterate the creator creature distinction so that right. the creaturely human word love actually gets at the very essence of who god is as love but the problem is either then you're raising the creature up to the level of the divine so that our speech actually is meaningful or you're bringing the divine down to the level of the creature and this there is going to be the big. This will be the big debate in the medieval period, right? Because mm-hmm. Duns, John Duns Scotus has this whole idea of like the univocity of being, um, and so there are these debates of like how bi- how big of a difference is what he's saying as opposed to what Thomas will say with analogy, which is the way Thomas wants to go. Go ahead. All I know is that all the Reformed Calvinists or Alchemists, Scotus <laughs> or whatever, and they ruined everything. And uh, that's why we have capitalism today instead of our Marxist modernity, secularization. Um, as is my stereotypical comment to make, the reason that Aquinas wants to affirm that there's a way to talk about God truly is because he says on page 125, this um, we have to believe this because of the intention of those who speak about God. When he reads the Bible, Aquinas is saying, people are talking about God and they intend to communicate something about God. So there has to be like a straightforward way. I mean, you read John or you read Moses, they're talking about God. So what is the way? Like you can't, if you think about it, you can't have the stupid options, which are like pure equivocation or pure univocal kind of language. You get rid of the stupid options. What's the, what's the common sense one? The common sense one is, well, look, while we are, we're creatures of God. So there's a sense in which we have, uh, by participation, something of our cause. So if God has God is love and we know love and we're creatures of God, there's a sense in which we can know something of love. Yep. But as we talked about earlier, it has to be in proportion to our capacity as creatures of God. And God's love is in proportion to his capacity as being a simple, infinite spirit being. Yep. So, or whatever, super being. So that's what he gets to. And he talks about this idea of the uh, analogous sense. The, this doctrine of analogy or proportionality, which I guess is the same thing, or maybe there's a small distinction, but it's basically the same thing, at least in what we're reading right here. By the way, this uh, analogical predication of God is everywhere in the Reformed writers. We're talking about Junius before, I think, Franciscus Junius. 
and um, his treatise on true theology. Is that the name of it? Yeah. I'm nearly certain he has a whole thing on analogical predicate. I mean, this is just basic to a biblical a biblical approach to the Bible, <laughs> not to a reformed approach to the Bible. Well, it's biblical too, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. an approach to the Bible. You you have to have a way to res- to honor the intent of the authors of scripture to communicate about God while realizing that God is the creator. He, um, to use Paul's language in first Timothy, he is the only, what is it? Immortal, invisible, and true God. So if he's immortal and invisible yeah. and we're visible and mortal, already you can by contrast know that he is not like us and we're not like him in terms of baseline mortality and visibility so we have to think about god according to his proportional capacity his, his being yeah. so this is an analogy of proportion or an anal- you know an analogous predication of god this is really really normal and it's all the things we, i i guess i've been saying over and over but it's you just say look uh i've experienced goodness in my life beautiful sunset show me beauty uh family has shown me love and charity and so on all of this comes from god Every good and perfect gift comes from our heavenly father above the Lord of light, the father of lights, James says, it's not some gifts. It's every gift. All means all. And that's all, all can ever mean as sorry, as I know from Jerry Falwell and so on. You um, much too much sugar. <laughs> sorry. I like, I'm like pure dad joke. That's why I'm the number one dad. Or the best right. ever. <laughs> and but it's important to know that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Not every bad and imperfect gift, but every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of Lights. And so therefore, um, we can know things, all the creaturely goodness in this world. I mean, Paul says everything God created is good and can be sanctified by prayer and thanksgiving, or made holy, depending on your translation, but it's the word sanctified. Yeah. So that means everything still is good, by the way. Uh the oh, creation. Good. Well, yeah, the creation groans for its its fullness because of the corruption given to it. But its original perfection is still there. Its original goodness is there. And you and I are, ex- the fact that we exist is good and God gives us existence every day. We, we yeah. live and move and have our being in him, Paul says in Acts 17. So you think of a word like good then, right? So if we say, because, you know, he's he's using this language of analogy. So what is what is an analogy? It's like a way of like using words to describe things that the word itself can have a range of meaning, you know, within it. Right. So if I say, I love this cup of coffee, if I say, I love my wife and I love God, I'm using the word love in different senses, even though it all has the same same way. When I say I love coffee, it's the same (laughs) way I mean, I love my wife. Now, if your wife hears that, she will be like, what happened to analogy? Yeah. We need an, Because love here is in proportion to the bean. The bean of coffee is what I really mean is I en- I enjoy the flavor of it. Yeah. But when I say I love my wife, I mean, I enjoy the companionship of her. So it's obvious when you say I love coffee and I love my wife, that the word love is the same sound that you make articulate, but you're not, uh, it's not univocal and it's not equivocal. Yeah. yeah, it's analogous. So you're you're using love in a in a similar sense in each of these different. It's just common uh, sense, right? Example, it's common sense, but it's like we use love in in each of these in in a sense in a true way in each of those three different examples, and yet they're all different. And when it comes to like talking about God, who's holy, other creator creature distinction, like that's just what we're going to be butting up against all the time. So if I use the word and I say I love or God is love, if I'm predicating love of God. 
um, that I'm going to speak of love in a way that makes sense to me, given the creaturely knowledge I have of what love is. But in an analogous sense, then I'm going to apply that to God. So I'm not going to capture the essence of his love. I'm not, you know, it's his love is infinite. So how could I? Um, but I want to be able to speak in a way that's true, that I actually want to be able to affirm God actually is love and he really does love me. But, you know, you can't do it with univocal language. Equivocal language could cast doubt in your mind about God's love. But analogical language is getting at the truthfulness that God is love, yet recognizing the creaturely limits of our language when we're speaking. You know, what? you just help me. You give you give an analogy that maybe not for listeners, but for me, was really helpful. So. Maybe not for listeners. Yeah. Sure. Well, I don't. No, I just meant like I, because or, I was been thinking. Either that or our listeners are a bunch of dullards. If you think of, yeah, our listeners have no idea what. You're, uh, if there's like an infinity of God and you're trying to capture His love, you can just reach out your hands and and like you can only capture part of what it because He's infinite. If you think of an infinite field or an infinite just white color or whatever, grabbing it, well, you can only grab a portion of it, but that portion is still there. <laughs> you still grabbed a yeah. portion, but you can't know it fully, and that's why you can't know god you might say exhaustively yeah. but you can know him truly yeah he's he's describing it on 128 at the top there with like the idea of a, of a mean between two okay things, right? <laughs> I, I i have to have a legitimate complaint if you read writers from like 600 bc up till now they yeah. all have the same stupid analogy of urine and health and i hate it what <laughs> any sense to me he does You're too right. They're all, it's just stupid. I can't, I never understand it. I've read this like a dozens of time and I have yeah. no clue what it's talking about. And I barely do Wait, now. Just but, because well, you like, were, it, were... I, but I wasn't getting to that. I was going past that. <laughs> okay. Um, but you're I right. Just, this funny. angers <laughs> me. I have no idea what he's talking about. And I, I read all these, like, you can read like Galen or all the Stoics. They all, they all mention this stuff. And you're like, I, this is the weirdest. <laughs> like, why is it obvious to everyone but me? Like, what do you even mean that like he's it's says, funny because Jan Hus in his uh yeah, work everyone. On, on the church when he talks about the reprobate, he yeah. uses he uses the language that the reprobate are like they're part of the church, but they're like phlegm or urine in that it's something that is part of the everyone body does it itself. and it's obvious to everyone but me. And it just gets me let me just read what he says. Yeah, yeah. And see, it maybe all the listeners are smarter than me because it'll be just so intuitive. He says, either according to many things, um, okay, so now many so this is bottom 127. Now many are thus analog uh analogously used in two ways either in according as many things are proportionate to one thus for example healthy is predicated of medicine and yeah. urine in relation in, and in proportion to health of a body of which the former is the sign and the latter the cause it makes total sense how no, it doesn't make really, any sense yeah, i hate this health, analogy so, no but he's saying though the word health applies to medicine yeah. in a certain sense okay. and urine the reason why is that like they would look at urine to determine whether you were sick or not <laughs> you know like so if you're you know you know how it is it's like oh, i know I'm how drinking it is enough water because my pee is clear oh i my pee is not clear it's murky i've already noticed more water. the guys who are just completely messy in the stall and they're everywhere they don't drink enough water but he's, that's on. what he's doing with the word healthy right he's like seeing how it has this uh, these various types of analogous ways of using it but what i was going to do is going to say jumping past that where he says thus whatever is said of god and creatures is said according to the relation of a creature to god as its principle and cause wherein all perfections of things pre-exist excellently so all these perfections that are in humans right? They actually pre-exist in God. He's the cause, we're the effect. That's why we have them. Now he says, now this mode of community of idea is a mean 
between pure equivocation, right, which he doesn't want, and simple unification, um, so univocity. For in analogies, the idea is not as it is in univocals, one and the same, yet it is not totally diverse as in equivocals, right? So analogy is the mean between these two extremes. It's the third way. Why we can then say, listen, I'm not speaking in the one-to-one fashion because of the creator-creature distinction, but I am speaking truthfully. So I'm not equivocating in what I'm saying. I'm speaking analogously. So like once I remember, I don't know where I heard this or read it, but it's like the idea of like when we think of an analog, like right now, you and I are communicating through a screen. I don't, I'm not actually talking to you as a real person in the room. There's something between us that's being mediated that mediates between us. It's this, it's the screens of our laptops or whatever. And so I'm looking at an analog of you. Yet I'm not getting the real you, right? It's not univocal, but I'm not getting not you either. I'm not equivalent. It's an analog. So I'm mm, I'm seeing like through like signification, right? The pixels and all that, the light are signifying you and you're moving your facial expressions, language, jokes, all that kind of stuff. I'm actually really getting those things yet. You're not, it's not, I'm not getting your actual being in the room with me. Right. So it's an analog in that sort of sense. Um, So I'm getting something that's true, but I'm not getting the complete thing. And uh, that just makes sense to me. I I mean, it preserves a creative creature distinction and it's also preserving the possibility of really and truly speaking about God and knowing him in our minds. Speaking of which, not really. Uh, I have a question for you. In God, is there a real relation to creatures? Is there a real relation to creatures? Yeah. Where are we at on this one? I, one I, I'm so like, I'm so holy smokes! I didn't realize we got actually more questions to go through. Don't we? Like, <laughs> <more art. laughs> like, I wasn't so really on the analogy thing. I'm like, well, I'm done, guys. See ya. <laughs> uh, so he says, "Where is in okay?" So this is Article Seven. Oh, okay, seven. Yeah, I answer that. Since, since therefore God is outside the whole order of creation and all creatures are ordered to him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not conversely, it's manifest that creatures are really related to God himself. So we have a real relation to God because as principle, we're the effect of the principle. Yeah, and he's going back to the names, right? The names which import relation to creatures are applied to God temporally and not from eternity, right? So we're speaking about God as he relates to us within time where right. we can use these names to speak of him. Um, again, which comes down to that kind of whole accommodation sort of thing. And uh, he says they're called relative for as much as they are related to other things, uh, but as other, not, not for as much as they are related to other things, but as others are related to them. Likewise, for this instance, on uh, this was a weird one too. On the right is not applied to a column unless it stands as regards an animal on the right side, which relation is not really in the column, but in the animal, right? And so it's in the same sort of sense. It's kind of like when we talk about immutability, God doesn't undergo a change. We do uh, in terms of our relation to him morally. Here he's saying, just like in a column, you, a column doesn't have right or left. But if something is standing next to it on its right or left, then you can apply it uh, to that, right? And so he's the same with, 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 the, with the divine names. Since therefore God is outside the whole order of creation and all creatures are ordered to him and not conversely, he's not ordered to us, we're ordered to him. It is manifest that creatures are really related to God himself, whereas in God there's no real relation to creatures, but a relation only in idea. You just mean that God doesn't care about people. Yeah, he has no relation to us. Yeah. Um, And so therefore, uh, thus there is nothing to prevent these names which import relation to the creature from being predicated of God temporally, not by reason of any change in him, right, because he's immutable. But by reason of the change of the creature, as a column is on the right of an animal without change in itself, but by change in the animal, right? The column stays the same. So the pillar, animal is on the right side, then it moves to the left. 
It's not that there's a change that's happened in the column. The changes happen to the animal, mm -hmm. just like when we're using these kinds of uh, names and uh, the course. Yeah, we're not the principle of God, and therefore He's not our our creature right. who changes according to our desires. We 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 gravitate towards Him. We are ordered to Him, like let's say a gra like let's say there's a gravitational well, and we're ordered to Him by being pulled to Him. He's the well yeah. in this analogy. So, yeah. uh, in a very similar vein, on page one thirty, it looks like Aquinas goes to task against Michael Heiser. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay, Michael because, Heiser. Uh, yeah, well, exactly. Because the late uh, Michael Heiser. The late, yes, the late, the late revered Michael Heiser. Uh, yeah, wants to know whether the name of God is communicable to creatures, and um, Aquinas says no. There's no. In reality, there is. There are no gods, but there's only gods. The name God's only uh, a name and opinion. Yeah. The mind. There's a sense in which you can talk about the gods of the nations, and they are, you know, obviously Paul and and, and uh, Augustine talk about the gods as being like demonic or spirits or whatever. Oh, but, I see what you're doing here. Yeah, or Psalm <laughs> 82 or 81 in the Latin Vulgate. Um, it says, "I have said you are gods." There's a similitude and likeness of divinity, but they're not true gods. Yeah, and uh, so he's obviously reading Michael Heiser uh, with <laughs> all the other scholastics and saying, yeah, oh, "I don't like that point of view." By the way, um, this is a really simple question, but I'll ask you because I could easily answer it. Well, he said, well, are you sticking with uh, the ninth article or are you moving on to something? I was going to the 11th article. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's, I mean, it's just interesting what he's saying, yeah. then, right? Like, so he's saying the name God is communicable, not in its whole signification, but in, in, in a part by way of similitude. Yep. Uh, so that um, those are called gods who share, who, sh uh, who share in divinity by likeness, according to the text, Psalm 81, as you just quoted, or Psalm 82. Uh, but uh, if any name were given to signify God, not as to his nature, but as to his, what he uses as, it's not suppository, suppositum or substance, uh, accordingly as he is understood as this something, that name would be absolutely incommunicable. If we're using the word God to actually get at the the actual substance of right. who God is, that doesn't get communicated. But if we're using it in terms of similitude, uh, then we can use the word in 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 the sense of other people. Actually, that fits with what Heiser's saying, doesn't it? Uh, I was sort of making a joke because he talks about how <laughs> gods are like more or less real. Yeah. But the one thing that uh, is interesting about Heiser is he has this whole experience about reading Psalm 82 in Hebrew and it kind of opening his mind and how nobody talks about Psalm 82. And just for someone who reads church history, it's like literally Psalm 82 is the verse about salvation how we become like god cited quoted alluded to everywhere and then has this whole thing about how you know no one talks about these problem passages and like there's a literal genre called ambigua that <laughs> talks about these passages that is everywhere in all place anyways it's what it's what like i've read now a few of heiser's books and yeah like, on one level my like, man these are awesome they're super i'm, I'm making a joke i'm not actually no, but, I, but what you're saying no yeah. but what you're saying is actually bang on i would be so frustrated reading his book and how how he just had no seemingly no awareness of church history there's tons yeah. of times where i'm writing in the margins thinking no somebody said this no this all, all of his it. sources are like the last 50 years basically yeah. i mean he occasionally yeah. of course he occasionally cites like a, a, a um not a church father but a um an apostolic father yeah uh, and i guess some church fathers too but it's 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 really just to confirm a point of his or something yeah um my my curiosity though and, and again this is the really simple question and i'll ask you whether this name he who is is the most proper name of god i don't think anyone's really ever thought about this question before <laughs> i haven't really read before 2022 like i'm like michael heiser i don't read anything um, so probably no one's really thought about this before. So what do you think? 
Um, well, it seems to be that it most properly belongs to God. <laughs> See, it does seem that way. <laughs> right? Well, that's what he says, right? In the in the said contra, right? At the end, he says, uh, therefore, the name he who is, right? Direct, drawn from the burning bush, uh, Exodus 3.14, uh, Yahweh, it properly belongs to God. And then he says, and this is the case for three reasons, because of signification, right? All this length, the, 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 the way that, we signify things with our, our our words and ideas of God on account of its universality. Uh, and then uh, the third is consignification. Um, and so he says, for it signifies present existence, and this above all properly applies uh, to God. And then he quotes your book there, uh, De Trinitate by St. Augustine, number five, which is, of course, what you know everything about. So go for it. Um. Uh, from its co-signification for it signifies present existence and above all purely applies to God whose existence okay I mean I he says stuff no no it's bad I I, I I sat for a while trying to think okay what's the difference between signification in number one right so and that and con-signification so he says um, for it does not signify form but signifies existence itself right that's I, I what he must, be, he must yeah, be that's how they under, that's how he understands it right what is the like Boethius's definition more or less of this maybe presence. Um, like so signification uh of the so Yahweh signifies existence itself this is this relates to something like Aristotle's notion of pure being or God being pure act uh, hence since the existence of God is his essence itself right because he is his essence and his existence are one thing because he's simple he says that can't be said of anything else uh, it is clear that among other names, this one specially denominates God for everything is denominated by its form, right? So, so if 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 Yahweh, the divine name from Exodus three fourteen, it speaks properly to who God is, it has to in this exact sense because the word the name itself actually refers to the being of God, which is form, uh, right? God is pure form, pure act, pure being. Uh, therefore, it can only denominate Him specifically in terms of signification. And then he says, on account of its uh, universality, for all their names are either less universal or, if convertible with it, add something above itself, at least an idea. Hence, in a certain way, they inform and determine it. Now, our intellect cannot know the essence of God in itself in this life as it is in itself. But whatever mode it applies in determining what it understands about God, it falls short of the mode of who God of what God is in himself. Therefore, the less determinate, the less uh, less determinate the names are, the more universal and absolute they are the more properly they apply to God. There's no correspondence between Yahweh and anything because it's, it signifies pure existence. So uh, therefore, there's no correspondence between anything uh, that we could point to within, within our reality. Therefore, that's why it's most proper to God. Then it's like the language of consignification in the third one. It signifies present existence. So not just existence itself, but like actual present existence. And this applies above, this, this above all properly applies to God. Uh, whose existence knows no past or future, right? So that whole idea of like Boethian, eternal present, that kind of thing. But I just don't understand what, and I should have looked at this probably, what is the distinction between signification and consignification? I think it's like a double, so, it's a double. Well, is it like, is it? so signify, so for the first one, he's saying the signification, it's it's about simple existence itself. Consignification is about the actual real existence presently, right? Uh, right now that God has because he's outside of time. So that means him being outside of time actually affects our temporality right now. Um, but I just don't understand, like, because con obviously means, like, you know, joining something together as a prefix in Latin. Um, so so 
what's the difference between signification and consignification? I, I don't know off the top of my head. But I, I get the three. I understand what he's doing with the three. I just don't understand why that language is. Yeah, different. I don't know if there's enough of things. I, I can read the the Augustine passage, I think, that he cites. Okay. Um, but I mean it's a whole chapter that he cites, so I'm wondering I'll just the part of Nexus three fourteen. So he quotes it. After he distinguishes um essay uh from uh ends, Augustine does, and then he cites Exodus three fourteen after doing that, and then says, Now other things that we call beings or substances emit of modifications, so accidents, but which there are they are modified and changed to a great and small extent, but God cannot be modified in any way. And therefore, the substance or being which is God is alone unchangeable, and therefore pertain, it pertains to it most truly and supremely to be. So that's existence from Exodus 3.14, from which comes the name being or ends. Anything that changes does not keep its being, and anything that can change, even though it does not, is able not to be what it was. And thus only that which not only does not, but also absolutely cannot change. Okay, stop, stop, called... stop. I figured it out. I got it. Okay. Um, so I just looked up in um, Bernard, I think you say his name is like Vellner, um, his dictionary is Scholastic Philosophy. And uh, it, so it says, so this makes sense now, consignification as a noun is a meaning implied in or connected with the main or direct meaning. So it's it's basically just saying it's a secondary signifier, right? So the main signifier is that first one that Thomas is talking about here. We're talking about God is, is you know, Yahweh is pointing to the idea of God as just pure essence, pure, pure existence, pure being. And then in this sense, in this, it's like a, a con signifier is that it's a secondary signification. Um, we're talking about his present existence, um, which also applies only to God, right? So whose existence knows no past or future. So not just like kind of like existence as form, who God is, but then the actual act of his existence now. All right. I like it. What was the book that you looked at? Um, here, I'll share the screen. Uh, oh, I don't think I can, right? Um, I think you should be the, uh, uh, Bernard, you spell it W-U-E-L-L-N-E-R. And it's like a dictionary scholastic philosophy. Super helpful. I have a, I have a, I have a digital copy, but I've also, this is a, this is a physical copy of it right here. All right. Yeah. I'll put that on my wish list. Looks interesting. Yeah. It's helpful. Um, I have the the Mueller one, which is yeah, Mueller's all. I, Mueller's great. Uh, more he does more of the Reformation, post Reformation stuff. Yep. Uh, okay, so uh, when God says I am who I am, He's sort of like that, everything else. We look at that. It's, it's not. It's not that that Him saying I am who I am. I am He who is cannot be shared with anything. Can't be shared with anyone, and uh, we learn about His existence, but we don't necessarily know His essence and the names uniquely signifying his existence i guess yeah um and it can't be said of any other um okay so 12th article whether affirmative propositions can be formed about god yep. the form of the question almost seems to be like what he's driving to um, it maybe, almost seems like a rhetorical question in a way too yeah like uh so i think the answer was we can um it's interesting the very end of a reply to and, and he's and he's applying to linguistics here again right like yeah. he's basically saying listen if this is how language works then it has to be the case just to prove this, we must know that in every true affirmative proposition, the predicate and the subject signify in some way the same thing in reality and different things in idea. God, however, is as considered in himself is altogether one and simple, yet our intellect knows him by different conceptions because it cannot see him as he is in himself, 
Nevertheless, although it understands him under different conceptions, it knows that one and the same simple object corresponds to its conceptions. Therefore, the plurality of predicate and subject, subject represents the plurality of idea, and the intellect represents the unity by composition. So we have the ideas, they're all, they're all variegated, uh, yet they're all speaking of the one simple God. Yep. And then he says at the end, which I think is just kind of maybe a helpful summary on some page 133, at the uh, we're on we're on the twelfth article, but this is reply to objection three. Yep. He says, um, <clears throat> "Let's see. Uh, uh, but this does not hold in the present case because our intellect, when forming a proposition about God, does not affirm that He is composite, but that He is simple. Yep. But taken as referring to the one who understands, the proposition is false. For the mode of the intellect in understanding is different from the mode of the thing in its essence." Since it is clear that our intellect understands material things below itself in an immaterial manner, not that it understands um, them to be immaterial things, but its manner of understanding is immaterial. Likewise, when it understands simple things above itself, it understands them according to its own mode, which is in a composite manner, yet not so, not so as to understand them to be composite things. And thus our intellect is not false in forming composition in its ideas concerning God. So it's sort of a summary, but basically we can only think of God as love and just and holy. So we've all those biblical details go into our mind or intellect and we organize them in our intellect. But really it's all saying one thing, God, 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 yeah, he's right. right? Like, see, if, so God says, I am holy. Well, and he says, I am love. And then no one is good, but God alone. All those statements are versions of just saying god 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 is god but we have to compose them in our mind because we can't see god as he is in himself given that he is infinite and so on so we have to use um composition hey we we finished this whole question and it's kind of like the complicated one uh, i mean but i like honestly man like i've read this this one this like multiple times in the last couple of weeks trying to like really wrap my head around what's going on here i i think i can't remember if we said this in the last podcast or not but like man going through the institutes which was by calvin was so awesome year and a half and i never felt like i really was getting like pushed too hard it was like okay i've been studying this stuff for a long time i know what he's doing there might be some things here that i gotta like like research into but i basically get it confessions that was like my third full go through it absolutely like my you know after the bible my favorite book i'm like man this is awesome this one, it's like totally, it's hitting me totally differently. It's like, whoo, like every sentence is just loaded with meaning. And you're like, what on earth? And I mean, he, Thomas's mind is just absolutely outstanding. And it, it just, it, it's a very different read. And I feel like this one takes more effort, but I feel like the payoff is going to be huge. I think the payoff will be huge because um, it's going to help you to read I mean, for me, these are just things to help you read the Bible better and wiser. Like we talked about earlier, just just the basic idea of analogy is really helpful. So you can say the Bible speaks truly, but not exhaustively about God. So when it says God is um, angry, you know what that means now. <laughs> it has to mean, you, you know what it has to mean according to who God is and according to who we are. Because there is a distinction between us, but there's an analogy proportionate to our capacities. Yeah. And that's really helpful. Um, I think it explains why the anger of man does not reach the righteousness of God and things like that. Well. Like, <laughs> it's true. It just gives you like, because it gives you just like, it would be silly for that to reach the righteousness of God because of who he is. Like, it doesn't make any sense. 
also given our uh, capacities and limitations. So I think next time I'm assuming we'll just do question 14 by look. That's the thing, man. Is it like, we have to just, it's, there's just no way to go fast through this, you know, like, yeah, I think question, some of them, question 14 is going to be another one of these ones where it's like, woo. I think 15, 16 and 17, we could probably do together. Cause they're, yeah, they seem shorter too. Right. They're shorter and one's on truth. One's on falsity. So you kind of feel like that makes sense. Yeah. The but then he's going to like, he's just going to, you know, like that's, that, that's the thing with Thomas though, is that, Oh, this would be all right. <laughs> you know, I feel like I could get, you know, truth. And then you're like, he's just going to like blow your mind with all this stuff. And you're like, Oh my goodness. Like even the things I feel like I know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why he's the Einstein of theology, honestly, seems that way. But one of the things is there's reasons why you should read great books because they'll make you smarter than yeah. reading. Even if it's books. exponentially, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm this much smarter than I know this much more than I did before. Meanwhile, like what I read was like this, you know, and I'm like, well, you got to return to like, I've read uh, not every word of Summa. I've read Summa before, like Summa before. And now that I'm reading it again. Yeah. And especially like even talking to there's a few things that have begun unlocking in my mind that I didn't fully grasp before we talked through it. Which is, I guess, I guess Socrates or slash Plato is correct. <laughs> you have to talk through things to yeah. actually understand them yeah. um, because the words are dead until they become alive. Yeah, no, that's uh, true. And I mean, um, um, oh, shoot, you just said something. It sparked a thought and now it's gone, but whatever. That's how it is. Bye.